0: Tuning into Small Big Wings, a window to the world of young, ambitious problem solvers. They are makers, designers, builders, hackers, scientists who heard their inner voice and amplified it. To learn more about her guest and to view the highlights of this episode, head on over to fbw.hbj.coach. Raj Latmi is a multidisciplinary designer translating concepts into visual design solutions across print, screen, and space. Here's a quick overview of her journey. Finance to graphic design to user experience. She is creative at heart, so it wasn't difficult for her to wave the metric-driven world goodbye. She has lived in four different parts of the world, India, Singapore, London, and New York. And she is just 24. She is interested in exploring how culture informs design choices and storytelling for brands. She enjoys illustrating editorial design, motion design, and most recently, experimenting with code. Her college thesis, One Mindful Mind, is a positive psychology print toolkit for children. One Mindful Mind is an interactive print toolkit that fosters positive psychology among children by helping parents turn into counselors. It equips children to take charge of their own well-being and encourages light-hearted yet crucially significant discussions between the parent and child. This helps children grow into resilient and well-adapted adults. One Mindful Mind won 15 international awards, including two Can Lions, across design, art direction, print, healthcare, specialty products, and packaging design and have indeed given an exciting start to Raj Lakshmi's career. Now, please join me in welcoming Raj Lakshmi to the Small Big Wins podcast. Welcome, Raj Lakshmi.
1: Thank you so much for that introduction, and thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here.
0: Thank you so much. Looking forward to take this conversation further. You are creative at heart, there's no doubt about it. It goes by the accolades you have collected, uh, very well-deserved for One Mindful Mind. After your school education, you went into accounting and the world of numbers. So what took you in metrics?
1: Okay, so when I just came out of school and I had to pick a direction, I honestly had no clarity on what I wanted to do. And, you know, so I just followed the herd and I studied BBA. Um, And what's more interesting is how I got into design. So the thing about me is that I'm super adaptive when it comes to learning. And so whether I'm studying accounting or art or design, I just like to go all the way. Um, And there was a point when I realized that I was channeling all of my energy into this blindly without any self-awareness. And honestly, that small shift is, you know, all it takes to turn that around. And of course, like I've always been a creative at heart. Um, and it's funny how creativity is something that's, that's just been with me all along, but I never gave it the power to do bigger things because I think for me, creativity was just living within those boundaries of, you know, making birthday cards or doodles or those two hours that I would spend at art class every weekend. Um, I kind of just looked at it like an outlet or like a hobby, but I think it's only later that I realized that creativity is so much bigger than that. And when I was out of school, I didn't really know what graphic design was and and that it can go beyond just making something look pretty. And also, um, I read this article a couple of days ago on on LinkedIn about how CBSC is now introducing design thinking to the higher education curriculum. And that's something that got me really excited because, you know, as a country, we are now recognizing and acknowledging the, the place that, you know, design holds into the everyday life. Right. And it's just brilliant to see that. I also feel that, you know, people associate not knowing what you want to do with like being an amateur or being a student. But I feel like I know so many adults also, I mean, who are just um, still living every day of their lives, not knowing what they're doing or why they're doing it. And I feel like once you start questioning that, everything then starts to make sense.
0: You have spent almost, I think, four or five years studying numbers, accounting. So what really took you away from metrics? You mentioned you are super adaptive, but what was that trigger moment?
1: I was actually always creatively inclined. Um, and my mom had always been pursuing me to, you know, learn these other softwares apart from just painting and looking at it as a hobby. She always thought that there was more potential to it. But um, again, um, back in India, you know, the kind of curriculum that we had, we were just like blindly looking at those three fields, like, you know, just science, arts, or accountancy and commerce. So um, I, I, I didn't have that kind of guidance or the kind of clarity to, to know what was out there in the world for me. Um, and once I started learning those softwares, that's when I realized that this is something that that. That really kicks it for me and I I really enjoy doing this. Um, And that's when I decided to um, apply to design schools instead of doing MBA, which I was like really headfast about even um, just a couple of years ago. Uh, And once I went there, um, I I just started to, you know, learn all the fundamental principles of design and, and how it just integrates with everyday life. And that's when One Mindful Mind came about. Um, so maybe I can take you through like how it all began.
0: Yeah, yeah. Please go ahead. Go ahead and tell us the story about One Mindful Mind.
1: Okay, so um, this is super close to my heart. And um, it all started in London when, when I was studying visual communication in early 2018. I was feeling homesick one weekend so I just went to visit my aunt and she has these two little cute boys, Um, one was seven and the other one was three and we were just chatting and the kids were playing and suddenly we heard this noise, Um, the younger one had actually stumbled over a toy um, and he started crying and his brother was right there but, but he didn't react for a while, he didn't help him and after some time he just laughed it off. So um, my aunt tried to explain to him that his brother is hurt and that he should be helping him in a situation like this. And I had a conversation with my aunt later that day. And I remember calling out how helpless she feels, you know, when it comes to imbibing feelings of empathy. A problem was right there, right in front of me. and, And I knew design could be an answer to this. And that's when my project kicked off. But, but, you know, the challenge was that pediatric mental health is just, it's such a sensitive area and it's, it's something that you need so much expertise in. And I had absolutely no background or subject knowledge of this. I knew I kind of needed to um, educate myself ground up, you know, just to make the ship sail. And of course, half knowledge can be dangerous for anyone and more so when it comes to younger children. So um, that's when I kind of started doing my research and I stayed at it for about 40 days. And then some facts started coming to light and, and I started uh, creating mind maps just to give me more clarity about the different factors that really affect mental health and, and the relationship of these factors with one another. And the more I read, the better I kind of understood the density of this situation. Um, Also, at the time, um, there was this petition going on in the United Kingdom to make um, PSHE a part of the school curriculum. Um, PSHE is basically personal social health um, and economic education. And I feel like children are increasingly, you know, being impacted with these unpleasant experiences that they're facing in their everyday lives at school, like um, bullying and anxiety, isolation, self hate. I mean, these are such strong words, but it's just so hard to believe that such young children are facing these problems. And I think the heartbreaking reality is that these children don't really have the coping mechanisms, which are um, needed to deal with these kinds of negative circumstances. And I also feel that um, as a child, when you're a victim to um, abrasive behavior, you kind of carry it all the way into adulthood without realizing it. And it just transitions into this bigger blockage that, that you can't make sense of. And I think it's important to be able to convert and, and just change that um, into like a positive outlook early on. Um, and this is something that we don't really teach them. Like as parents, I think we, we all take, a, take the situation as it comes or when it's already happened, when the damage is done so for instance if you receive a call from the school saying that your child has been suspended temporarily for bad behavior that's when you actually act on it and 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 that's where the problem lies because um, most children don't really understand the meaning of empathy and and moral and compassionate behavior is it's just considered uncool and then um, also on the school front things are pretty bleak because um, most schools in India and also abroad, they don't really have a mandatory mental health curriculum in place. Uh, we, Of course, we do have counselors, but then uh, children are always in a dilemma whether to approach them or not. I remember back in my school days, I didn't want to be seen outside the counselor's office just because of that stigma that surrounds it. Yeah. And um, and I think children are also like really insecure and possessive by nature. So they kind of need to approach someone they really trust. Um, and I felt that if your child really has a problem, then then you should be the first person they share it with, no matter what the scale of that problem is. Because, you know, as a parent, you're a safety net to your child. I mean, if, if not you, then who? So I feel that a universal and a preventive approach needed to be adopted. and And, you know, every child should be taught and trained in positive psychology. And not just the ones who are affected by these mental illnesses. And also the immediate calling was that you don't really need to wait for schools when you can begin at home and when parents themselves can be the counselors. And so that's where it rooted from.
0: So Raj Lakshmi, you said that you noticed the problem and you instinctively knew design could be the answer for this problem. What is behind this instinct?
1: I was at the time I was actually um, studying design and I had to start, my final thesis um, and so for that I needed to pick a topic I was at this point I was just really unsure about what this was going to be because like there are so many problems in the world that we need to address um, and and because just when we started with this brief this problem caught my eye and at the same time um, I had been looking at these articles on social media like I mentioned earlier there were these petitions going around and so I I really believe that, you know, design can be a solution for everything, for any kind of social problem in the world. And that's why um, I started doing my research. And then I started looking at all these events and conferences around the city. And I also found the, an event hosted by this nonprofit organization um, in the United Kingdom, which is called Community Matters. And I, I then decided to attend that. Um, it was basically a training in digital mental health apps for children and young people. Um, and there I was at Finchley Memorial Hospital. And, I, and this is a funny story. I actually still remember um, entering that room and, and just thinking that this was going to be a conference with so many people around. Right. But there I was in this room with precisely 12 pediatric professionals seated around this round table, very intimately in a small room, and each of them with a strong voice and years of experience. But I was just like 10 days into my basic research, and I just remember being so intimidated and asking myself, what am I actually doing here? And at that event, I actually met um, school counselors and pediatric psychologists and social workers. Um, I introduced myself to them and, and the reason why I was sitting in that room and I was so surprised by the response because they were so welcoming and encouraging, you know, towards the student with an intent of creating a design solution for children. And so um, I, I thought that I'm definitely going to take this forward and do something about it. So this session actually began with like really startling statistics and that drove me in further. And when we started brainstorming about the potential risks and you know benefits of those current mental health apps, I actually realized that most parents were um, unaware of these apps and of all these other resources that already exist in the market to help the children. And um, also I saw that excessive screen time was like a really big problem for most parents just because, you know, as parents, we are so concerned about how much time children are spending on the screen and we don't want them to be on the gadgets all day and so you know so the immediate question on my mind was that how can I use print as a medium to just collate and bring these lesser known resources together and also how to integrate this into a simple format so it can be engaging for children and it can also be accessible for everyone at the same time.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And then as I continued my research, um, I also learned that between ages five through seven, children develop a better control over attention and memory and problem solving. And they can also start using their cognitive abilities to attain goals. So I felt like they must engage in this activity-based learning from the very start to be able to cultivate that healthy mind. And that's precisely why I developed OMM. I think it's a beautiful medium to just like connect with your child and to open up this communication channel of uh, mutual understanding. Because I think kids really feel the need to be understood and, and to just feel that sense of belonging. And I think OMM is like a really simple toolkit which just allows children to take charge of their own well-being so that they can grow into well-adjusted adults and become resilient and learn to face these situations themselves. Uh, Also, the kit is uh, designed to fit very easily into the lifestyles of working parents. And I believe that parents can be really great playmates and OMM really provides that opportunity to share ideas with your kids and just spend quality time together in a relaxed setting.
0: There is so much actually, which parents should be doing with their kids. And there is so little of that, which is happening. Uh, Can you tell us a little more about one mindful mind? What are the components and how they work for the benefit of our audience?
1: So um, the toolkit basically has five different components And um, it's been designed in a way that children can pick any tool that appeals to them because I didn't really want the uh, components of the kit to be directional or sequential because I feel the moment you start imposing instructions on a kid that, you know, you have to use this workbook first and you need to start with page one, that's something that really puts them off and, you know, they start resisting. So I really wanted them to have their own creative freedom to navigate and explore their way around the kit. Um, and and that's why it was intentionally designed to be modular. And um, I'm just going to tell you a little more about each tool. So yeah. the feeling flashcards are basically a set of twelve cards, which list basic fundamental day-to-day feelings that we experience, like being happy or sad, um, angry and grumpy, grateful, embarrassed, and and you know each of these cards has a set of activities. That children can explore to understand that feeling better. And also, when the cards are read in order, they actually weave into a beautiful story. So it's almost like the characters are taking you through a roller coaster of emotions on their journey. And also, on the flip side, um, there are multiple activities that they can perform. So it's a great storytelling um, set, and it's also a great conversation starter. So I'll just give you an example of an activity. Uh, for example, on the angry card, we have um, grab a piece of paper and draw lots and lots of clouds to help that anger float away. Right. Um, and, and then, you know, the parent can also start having a conversation and asking the child that, uh, what do you do when you feel angry? And you know, what are the ways in which we could rectify that? And so I think those little conversations are really important. Um, Moving on to the second tool, there is a mood journal, which is a really vibrant and colorful notebook, which keeps a record of the child's thoughts and feelings. So the idea is that they can simply draw out their day without any pressure of confrontation, because sometimes, you know, they don't like to talk about things. Um, I know when I was a kid and my mom would ask me every day, um, how was your day at school? I would just get so annoyed at that question. I, I didn't feel like answering the same question every day. Um, and so I think that um, this is a good tool because it's, it's so open-ended and, you know, you can, you can draw anything you want. And these drawings could actually make really surprising revelations. Also, this um, mood journal has some fun mood stickers for days when the child does not really feel like drawing or writing. They can simply, you know, paste these mood stickers and have some fun with them. And it also contains a set of mood wheels. So these mood wheels basically help um, the child to track his or her feelings across an entire month. And it's a simple exercise where you just color in your most dominant feeling for a particular day. And I think um, something that this tool does very well is that it promotes emotional fluency. Because, um, you know, when when you start inculcating this habit of just um, determining what your most important or most dominant feeling was through the day, you just become so much more self-aware. And even as adults, I think sometimes we struggle to understand what we are really going through. So I think it's just really important to inculcate that habit early on. And then we have the mindful workbook, which is super exciting. It has all kinds of fun situation-based problem-solving activities. Um, in different forms. So it has stories, poems, and interactive exercises. And it also covers like a whole array of mental health topics like self-esteem, anger management, moral behavior, how, how to cooperate and compromise, um, how to be grateful, what empathy really is. And the way it does this is that um, the child assumes like a role play And it's essentially about understanding how the child would approach and react to different situations. So it's like you put yourself in in the shoes of the character in the story and start thinking about what you would have done if you were in that place. Um, Again, I'll give you a simple example of an exercise here. We are all familiar with the traditional game of snakes and ladders. And so we have this one page on the workbook which has the game. And what you need to do is when you actually climb up the ladder, you talk about some good things that happened through the day, something that made your day brighter. And then when you are bitten by the snake, you actually talk about things that made your day hard. And so again, that's, that's a beautiful medium to have a conversation with a kid while also having fun. We also have the thought cards, which are these motivational cards with simple phrases that kind of list all the attributes of a healthy mind. And they're also an escape into art therapy. And they really help the child slow down and color a picture. So on the back side, the children can just put down a thought that they want to share with others. For example, you know, you could just write the world is a wonderful place. And then they could seal these into envelopes and and pass them on to their loved ones or, you know, simply use them as bookmarks. Um, These are just lovely keepsakes. They're beautiful cards. And um, the parental guide is this directory for parents, which which just lists a number of resources available on the subject of mental health, like the different books that are available, the movies that the child could watch, the games um, they could play. And there are also some fun prompts associated with each movie or game that you can um, do with your child once. Once, So yeah, that's pretty much
0: the kit. It's absolutely phenomenal. What have been some of the responses which you have received from uh, parents about this?
1: I think... um. For parents, um, like I mentioned earlier, they have always, um, you know, they find it really hard to find a print medium, which is equally engaging as, as something that's available digitally today. Like, you know, I think children are playing Animal Crossing on the switch and to make something as engaging using print was a really big challenge. And that's something that I got a really positive response for. Um, and and they were really intrigued to to you know have an ownership of this box and uh, just this sense of plenty because children enjoy abundance and they like having things in abundance and so I decided to go with this t- um, tool which has like you know five things inside rather than going with that one book and also um, I think we got really positive feedback on the fact that their attention span for this was much higher than they, they had anticipated. And I think that's also because I tried to use a variety of materials and textures to just keep the child intrigued and, and you know, to drive that curiosity that we all have within us. Um, and also if you see the color palette is, is composed of really bright and vivid colors and, and that really appeals to a child's field of vision. So I think that has been really successful.
0: And uh, if if parents would like to order this or teachers would like to order this kit, how do they do that? They would
1: actually need to
0: write to us. This whole process, uh, you're visiting your aunt and that moment between the two children, uh, the conversation you have with your aunt, that how difficult she finds to imbibe feelings of empathy in the children your research in paediatric mental health and you end up in this uh, workshop for mental health apps. Do you think these are coincidences or is it part of a larger design that this happened to you?
1: Well, I I would actually consider them both Um, and I would also like to add to that once I graduated I actually joined TBWA in Mumbai. And I, they really liked my project, and we decided to develop this further. Um, and for those who don't know about TBWA, it's it's actually a global advertising agency. And I think um, as a designer, I'm I'm just really this control freak, and and I really enjoy working independently and taking ownership of everything I do. But my experience at this agency really changed that perception. And so you know when this this entire sequence of events they, when they just happened i feel like everything happened at the right place and at the right time and i was where i was meant to be and and at the agency you know like i said i finally understood why two heads are better than one and and that other people can always add more value to your projects and i had the chance to work with such wonderful humans um especially with my boss geet and our chief creative officer parks and I think the relationship that you share with people um, at the workplace is just really directly proportional to your productivity. And as humans, I think we, we all have that need for personal connection, for support, meaning, and, and just plain happiness. And I just really enjoyed being there. And I'm so glad that we created something amazing together. I feel like one of the most wonderful things about um, good design is just the ability it has to pause life and, you know, just trigger a conversation. And no matter what I'm going through or how bad of a day I've had, when I see great creative work, I'm suddenly transfixed to like zoom out of the world, stand still and just acknowledge it. And for me, um, good work is really about how you make people feel. So, I think just to get such great feedback from everyone um, on this project has been really fulfilling.
0: One Mindful Mind went on to win so many international awards. And I think the prime of them were the two can lions, which put the project in global recognition uh, mode. How did that journey happen?
1: I think one of my biggest learnings through this journey has been that you don't have to limit your capabilities to your title or your job description i was actually a designer at tbwa when i was doing it and you may be called a designer but in reality you still don multiple hats which are concealed under that title of a designer And on this project, uh, I I gave in all my energy, and and I worked as a researcher, as a psychologist, art director, designer, illustrator, copywriter, and I think that's why this project is, you know, the biggest of my learnings, and it really taught me uh, how wide our bandwidth is as humans if we are really willing to do something and get it out there. I also feel that by focusing on one passion, we just limit our world. And we continue to seek what we already have. But I think for me, the right approach is embracing the uncertainty and and being open to the idea that you you have multiple passions to indulge in. And that's why I could play those multiple roles on this. And this is the student in me speaking right now, because I'm a tireless learner. I love studying and I love learning new skills. Um, and I think it's it's just such an effective way to get in touch with the activities that that fuel your creativity and inspiration. And I just think th- that's the very flavor of design, right? Because we are, we're constantly trying different things and, and there's no right or wrong. It's just like a bunch of wonderful ideas that you're sweating out and you're kind of putting your heart into it. And sometimes they make it out in the world and other times they're just killed. But, but that very experience of, you know, conceiving, iterating and building something tangible from absolutely nothing is just so rewarding. And I think living with a purpose just requires you to do more, to test your passions and, and, you know, really lead with your heart. And so the more attention we pay to that, I think the more connected we become just to this human experience. I also like have to really give a big shout out to my parents for for just like being so very accepting for always letting me do the things that i wanted to um and i think self motivation is great but but sometimes it really gets the better of us because i had i mean days and nights that i was working on this and and you know sometimes you you just lose that motivation and i think everyone can use a hand from time to time and for me my mom has always been that hand you know, to just give me that extra push and, and tell me that I can do it. Because, I mean, no matter how small this may sound, like sometimes it's all you need to hear. And, and she's, she's just my biggest pillar of strength. Um, and it just amazes me how much interest she takes um, in the things that I'm doing. And she finds it really important and, and natural to educate herself on the things that are a part of my life. I remember when um, I I started at TBWA and I was a virgin to this absolutely chaotic habitat where you're always on your feet. And of course, there's a reason why they call the agencies sweatshops. I had no idea what this can uh, puffery was all about and why people are coveting the recognition through these awards. And so when I won my first lion, my mom had already watched all the winning case studies at Cannes that year, and she called me. And of course she congratulated me, but the first thing she said is be humble. And when you get the time, just look at the work that the others have done, the way they think and, and the things that they're doing to change the world and do all of this to improve your craft. And then last week we we won um, three ADC cubes um, and then again she messaged me to thank all the people who've been a part of this in their own ways whether it's small or big. And I think I've really learned from her that you know gratitude is everything and, and it just goes such a long way.
0: Wonderful to hear this from you. You know I have spent a reasonable amount of time in corporate life and uh, have been fortunate to attend some good programs uh, at Harvard and some other places. And, you know, the most spoken about things from most of the professors and most of the wonderful books which they have written is about uh, empathy, humility, acceptance. And I think You know, we go so far to learn those things and we read so much to learn those things. But I think they are just present in every household in the form of a mom or someone else. And all we need to do is, you know, take these people to workplaces and uh, ask them what is empathy and what is humility and how are we supposed to play out those in our corporate lives?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and this actually reminds me, now that you're talking of humility, um, there's actually a very interesting story of failure that went behind this. So um, when I started this this project at school in London, we we used to have these weekly critiques where a bunch of classmates and two professors would come together as a group and just give each other brutal feedback. And so this one day, I, I did some extra work. I went all the way. Um, And I built a sweet prototype in a box and I entered the room super confident, chin up, spirits high. I'd spent days and nights working on this. and, And I just had a gut that this is spot on. And in a moment, my professor just trashed the work saying two words. He said, redo this. And that's the biggest nightmare. After the class, I actually asked him for an explanation. And he said that You don't bring a child down to a level that we perceive as elementary. You elevate them to your level through design. And so your design should be something that speaks to all audiences um, and not just children. And that got me thinking that, that there are certain fonts and styles that we use as designers, you know, typically to make these books look like they are meant for children but to think of it what does that even mean um, you know we don't need to do that just because it's it's a child's book you don't need to blow up the type size to 36 when when size 14 is perfectly readable and and you could use helvetica with a vector illustration it would still look sharp so that happened um, and i remember i was just feeling so many emotions all at once and and i was embarrassed and i was dejected and disoriented um And, you know, just tears were trickling down on my face and and I felt like nothing made sense. I hardly had like 25 days left to finish this project and towards my final submission. And I had no idea what I was going to do because I was back to square one. And I think handling failure has never been an easy one for me. I don't like to lose. I know a lot of us don't. Um, And when I look back now, I feel like failure it has been such a big part of this success because if I had just settled for that first iteration, I, I wouldn't be here. And at that point, I didn't realize that, you know, I can't have Ying without Yang. And there's no magic number of attempts at right or wrong. They're only experiences that reveal where and when you fit into the world. And of course, just that series of events that happen and you're just lucky to be where you are. And I think that day I learned that criticism is also such a big lesson in humility because criticism can bruise the ego, but then it keeps you grounded and and it makes you easier to, you know, it makes it easier for you to work with others and just be more open to learning.
0: Yes. so I think empathy and positive psychology need to be built on very early into our uh, wiring. And the big focus in corporate life is on building empathy. And particularly we are talking in today's times of COVID-19, whether I hear Harvard webinars or London Business School webinars, it is about empathy. Our focus is on empathy, but the empathy focus should have been much earlier in our lives as children, And it should have been much earlier in the lives of our parents when we were kids, in the lives of our teachers. So I think, you know, so much difficulty we have in handling societal problems. And when I say societal problems, it encompasses different kinds of corporate, household or institutional problems. We have so much difficulty in handling those just because of the fact that we are not taught what empathy is how to be genuine about empathy at the right time in our lives don't you think so
1: yeah i absolutely agree um and i feel that you know it's it's smaller than what we think like to inculcate this within ourselves you just require real small steps like you know for instance you just have to be good at listening to what others have to say or or you know you need to be good at picking up how other people are feeling you you need to be thinking about how they're feeling or or you know um, you sometimes feel overwhelmed by tragic events or they feel overwhelmed and you just try to help others who are suffering and you're good at telling people when they aren't being honest or or sometimes when you're feeling drained or overwhelmed in social situations and, and you just care, care deeply about other people.
0: Yes. So I think, I think that your one mindful mind is not something only for children. It is equally uh, helpful for parents and for adults also. And uh, I don't know when and how I will get a chance, but I will, I will definitely like to evaluate in what kind of corporate setting can I introduce this? and i would love to give you the feedback after that
1: absolutely that is that is so great to hear
0: yeah so you mentioned that design can be the solution for any kind of social problem can you can you talk to us what is design and why do you make such a strong statement about it
1: i need a little time to think about that
0: yeah take your time no problem six seven eight people whom i have spoken to so far have been Oh, be, very high on design and and what I learned from them that design is not stereotyping. it is not mundane. Design mm-hmm. is not the the meaning of design which we which we think in our normal lives. it is It is just being able to think of a solution in a different kind of a manner Is design. right. So that is what that is what I could get talking to talking to different kinds of people, but I thought. It would be nice to get your perspective. So we'll come back to this later, if you wish. You said that a caring relationship, a sharing relationship at workplace is directly proportional to productivity. Right. And uh, the more and more workplaces we are encountering today do not have sharing and caring relationships. It's very black and white. It's transactional. It's restricted strictly to the job description. The leadership is not willing to take a chance of uh, having flexibility and having leeway in that. And we see as a result of that, that there is a lot of corporate stress. There is a mid-age crisis. What do you think about this? How could this be solved in corporate places?
1: I have to say that I I have actually been really fortunate, um, just because this was my first full time gig, and and I think that really um you know ch- even changed the perception of of what a boss is and and of what hierarchy is in organizations, because um back at TBWA um it was just it was such an open environment, open office. And uh, people were just so approachable, and I think that when you are in an environment like that, um, uh, it's age is just a number. Everyone is a friend to you, and and you know you flourish and you thrive. And I think that's that's important to imbibe into just the culture and the spirit of a company. And so I think everyone needs to be equally receptive to that.
0: Right. You have just finished communication design at Parsons. How does this add to you? I, I thought that you were doing well with TBWA. So why this move and why this move into communication design? I think it's very unconventional, the, the course which you have done and recently graduated in.
1: Right. So um, I actually decided to take up um, communication design because this, this course was specifically tailored towards user experience design um, in apps and websites so it was more about digital product design and i think over the years with transformations in in you know user behavior and technology i think digital pro- products and services have just become the primary way in which you know people interact with brands today um and i think it's it's frankly the smartest way to build brands in our era and i think because mm-hmm. of this period my focus kind of naturally shifted from advertising to user-centered design. And I felt like this is, this is something that I want to focus in. And I think it's more relevant today. Um, now because of COVID, I, I think we are all working from our spaces and, and we are connected only through this digital medium in this fragile space called the internet. And, and so I think um, this was a great move for me and, and it really, really helped me build on those skills.
0: What are some of the finest examples of user experience for you, Raj Lakshmi, and why?
1: I think um, one of the most non-conventional interfaces that that really stands out to me um, and is one of my favorite pieces is, is the iconic interface of the MTA vending machines, which is the subway here in New York. So it's the ticketing machines. Um, and I think they've been created at a time where you know touch screen interfaces in public were were still a novelty, um, and and I think it's been used for over 20 years now, which is like a virtual eternity for an interface. But it's it's still genius and and so user friendly. I think just for for that interface to be continuing across the years is, is such a brilliant example because I, because, you know, we're in a world where things get redundant so easily because technology is fast moving and everything is constantly changing. And to have a masterpiece like that is, is just brilliant.
0: Somewhere uh, you mentioned in one of your messages to me that culture informs uh, divine choices
1: this is actually something that i realized um, when i first started studying in london um we had an early design exercise where we were just given some shapes like like a circle um, or squares and and some strips of paper and we were just asked each one of us we are from all different kinds of cultures and backgrounds and countries and we were just asked to interpret what what that particular symbol means to us and it was just amazing to see how um, you know a red dot to someone from India meant a bindi but that same red dot to somebody else meant non-vegetarian and um, even if you look at the swastik um, which is a very auspicious symbol for us in India if, if you look at that from the German perspective it's actually a symbol for the Nazis and Hitler which is absolutely, um, you know, on the other end from being auspicious. And I think that's so intriguing because we have to be so sensitive to different cultures when we are even thinking of design or something as little as a symbol. It's just so, so important to be careful about these details.
0: You mentioned uh, that you have recently been delving into coding. How much do you think is coding helping you in being what you are? I
1: think the very first reason why I wanted to learn coding was that I I had started designing websites and I actually had no knowledge of the front end and how the developer actually transitions these ideas into a working product. And so a problem that I was facing while I was a visual designer was that there was always this leakage or gap of information between the designer and the developer. Because as I know, um, in India, most agencies uh, always outsource, you know, uh, getting the website built rather than building that in-house. And so I feel that it's really important to understand the limitations of a platform and, and you know, to be able to design around that just to stay true to the design so that, you know, you, you don't lose your perspective on it when it's transferred to somebody else. And, and I think that's something that's really helped me because in the future, when I actually build out these products, I know exactly what to expect, what could go right and what could go wrong. And you know, you're already um, aware of those contingencies.
0: And you have uh, learned coding on your own.
1: It, it is actually a part of my curriculum here, um, which I could pick as an elective.
0: All right. You've studied in four different geographies. What Raj Lakshmi, if you couldn't go abroad and you had just studied in India, would that Raj Lakshmi be different?
1: She would definitely be very different from what I am today. Um, and I think one of the biggest reasons behind that is that you know when we are back at home. And we are always in this bubble um, within this shell, and we are just so protected that we don't really understand what it takes to be in the world out there. Just to feel what it is to be vulnerable and to and to make something, um, you know, from from the very scratch. And that's you know, after moving out, it's it's just like even little things like you know, building your own furniture made me feel like i've invented something it's it's something that i had never thought of doing and and i and so you know when you start facing these situations it automatically starts you know reinforcing things within you and and you really develop as a person and just that exposure um, means the world to me and and it makes me a much more confident person than i was
0: if you were to pick up a few points and say that from your experiences in studying in four different uh, geographies. What would you like Indian education to become into? What are they missing?
1: I feel that um, with Indian education, you are always evaluated based on um, the textbooks that you study and the writing that you spill out during those exams i feel like i was never able to really reflect on who i am and what i want to be and i was just like blindly reading learning and writing um and and i think the difference here is that it it just really forces you to think about everything people don't handhold you but but you know there is this drive within you that that just comes instinctively.
0: What are the other factors which we need to bring into our education so that we are actually drawing out of the child and not pushing things into the child?
1: Right. Um. I, I also think that you know the the very first um yeah just you know just the selection of of subjects that we have before us. I think everything has always, um you know been been put together as this really strict curriculum and and it's been like that traditionally for years and years with with very little revisions or modifications and we we really need to start adapting to that and also you know more collaborative work i think just being independent in being by yourself, um, answering all those questions yourself is given so much importance. People really lose out on the spirit of, you know, working with a team, um, building something together with them, because, you know, you get to learn so much more from other people. I think you're in this education system. It's, it's really about those numbers and, and you know, just, just being competitive. But I think we can all be competitive in a healthier way. And also, I, I also feel something that's missing is that um, I, I back in school, we never really got an opportunity to, you know, like present things. It was always like written work. And now more and more, um, when I'm out in the world, I understand that it's so important to be able to communicate your ideas, no matter what kind of a profession you are in. But, you know, just, just to be able to tell people... Um, what that idea is how you want to execute that and where it stands and i and i think communication is a really big part of that and i'm i'm still trying to build upon that so i think um, it's something that should start from the very beginning
0: the uh, whole thing about positive psychology and the complete chain of events which inspired you to get into it and led into the development of one mindful mind as a culmination This problem which you saw is not new. Many people have gone through this problem. Many people have also noticed this problem. But the solution, like in the form of one mindful mind, for example, has come up only now. So, what do you think could be the trigger points in your own life, in your upbringing? or in your experience so far, which may have helped in this development, which may have helped in your noticing that this problem is there and a solution needs to be found and I am going to be at it to find that solution. How can you connect that moment to what has happened in your life and connect it to a few trigger moments if there are? Sure.
1: So um, I'm going to narrate this little incident from childhood. Um, I was actually just having a conversation with my mother about, you know, how I used to be when I was very little. And so she was telling me that, you know, I was a very compliant and um, a sincere kid. And apparently the only one time she um, really told me off and screamed at me was when I used these set of crayons. And I scribbled something on my walls. Um, Of course, that was the artist in me. But so, you know, um, I was actually watching this advertisement. And um, I can't remember who it was by, but I I saw it a couple of days ago. And um, the, the child does the same thing. The child actually scribbles on the wall. But the parent they frame that instead of telling the child off, they put a frame over it. And I thought that was such a beautiful gesture. And I told myself that, you know, we, we need more of this. Um, and, you know, just that gesture of embracing it um, rather than telling the child off is everything. Um, and I feel that, you know, as parents, um, we are obviously authoritative and, and it's really about feeding what's moral and immoral from the very start. And I feel like we think we really need to rethink that um, definition of moral. I think that don't do this and don't touch that object. Don't go near this is, is not an answer. And micromanaging your child for everything is not an answer. And I think that this kit is more than relevant today because um, just like this advertising example, parents, parenting and just, just the way parents look at things is changing in so many ways today. I think they're more understanding, accommodative. They understand how important it is just to let the child be. And that's why I think this was the right moment to get it out.
0: What is leadership for you?
1: I think leadership is really about um, putting people before you and, and always have people around who are smarter than you and embrace that because, you know, you have so much to learn from people. Just accepting the fact that everyone brings those different qualities on the table and, you know, to just be able to leverage on each one of those and, and, and really work together as a team and hone everyone's strength within that. I think those are really the qualities of a good leader.
0: Are there any favorite books of yours, which you're deeply influenced by, which you would recommend someone to read?
1: Okay. Okay. So I think one book that's been um, really influential for me is The Secret and also um, The Design of Everyday Things, which is um, a book by Don Norman. And most recently, I also um, read a book called Web Design, which was gifted to me on um, and it's it's basically the evolution of the digital world right from the start. I think that that's also a, a really interesting book. And it's really changed my perspective on particularly on user interface design. And one more that I think deserves a special mention is How to Be a Graphic Designer Without Losing Your Soul. That's, that's I think the very first book that I read um, when I just like started Designing, and I think that's a brilliant piece that everyone, every designer should read, which really boosts your morale.
0: From the last uh, two books which you mentioned, I am tempted to talk about some of your other projects which I have uh, seen on your website uh, LAL, Moolah, Beyond Surface, Bundled. Well, I, I, I just saw an exceptional quality of design, uh, exceptional. Workflow, which you have uh, put up on the website for each of the projects, uh, are any of those projects going to see a complete fructification, or they are just experiments?
1: These are actually all um, academic experiments for now, but I did get really positive feedback on moolah and LuL, and I was um, told by my guest critics that I should definitely go ahead and try to get this out into the world. And, and these are actually really recent projects so I think I would definitely like to work my way around them
0: yeah I believe I believe Lal and Mola are really exceptional and I think there's a lot of work which you have already put into them so they are they are at a very advanced stage I feel already
1: right it's great to hear that I actually just just love my designs to be super refined
0: <laughs> great keep that going now one mindful mind you call it OMM uh as abbreviated and uh, the word "Om" itself uh, the the word which we use in the Hindu system "Om," and one mindful mind is also "Om," and both are about mindfulness did you ever think about this
1: this was actually a mere coincidence and I, I actually didn't realize that when I put that entire name but because that the name was actually getting a little lower Long to you know like uh, apply on different places in terms of design. it seemed wordy sometimes. and that's when I decided to abbreviate this. and that's when it came to my notice. And I thought um, that that was actually just so brilliant because um, it, it actually means the entirety of the universe, the, the ultimate reality, and you know divine truth and knowledge. And I feel that this is exactly what we are doing because we are trying to educate children and prepare them for the universe.
0: That's true. Good. What if divine to you? To you, and why do you think it is an answer to every social problem, or it could be an answer to every social problem?
1: It's actually such an important question, <laughs> and, and that's why I'm just
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, wondering. I think you know why this question came to me. If if I, if I looked at Geet, again, blink. It solved the problem, right? Yeah. Okay. I, if I look at uh, Ankit, uh, whom I have spoken to just before I spoke to you, the previous podcast of Ankit. And Ankit saw, the, you know, his trigger moment was via a friend. And they were by, by the Ganges in Kanpur. And they saw this truckloads of flowers being dumped into the river and spoiling the entire fragile ecosystem in the in the river and his thinking his creativity came out over there that okay i have to make sure that i pick up these flowers and convert it into something useful so that they are not getting into the river there is a problem he wanted to solve in that space and he converted those flowers into organic agarbatti. right And uh, then, of course, you know, some other products came out as a result of R&D. And then there was Zach Lata, whom I had spoken to. He's in Silicon Valley. Zach uh, found the space that the way schools are teaching coding is something which is redundant, out of date, has no meaning at all. So he started hack clubs in schools. And he's already like 3% of the government schools, he has hack clubs over there. So they have all been problem solvers in their own way. They noticed the problem and they used some kind of creative solution which was directly related to their inner calling. So let me ask you that question again. What is design to you and why do you think it can solve any kind of social problem?
1: I think um, in today's world, design is just, it's a very big responsibility because it it just means to solve problems. And although, um, you know, design is mostly described as an object or, or, you know, as a style, a process, it's actually, I I feel it's actually a process or an action. And um, I see it more as a verb and not really a noun, because I think it's it 's a tool for solving problems and and you know just discovering new ways to improve life for for everyone and um, We call this design thinking, but I think it basically means just you know asking the right questions and empathizing with people who who are facing these problems and and just solving and finding solutions that are cost effective environment friendly and 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 i think that's where that social angle comes
0: in right so given where you stand today raj lakshmi what's the road ahead what are you thinking of
1: i definitely want to take this path towards design for good and i would i would absolutely love to you know work in the domain of of course, empathy and just human connections, which I think is really important. But at the same time, um, my focus is on digital products. So while I concentrate on that subject area, I want to use digital products as a medium. And I, I really, really want to be able to open an agency of my own by the end of this, taking all the learnings this far.
0: Fantastic. All the very best with your vision and uh, keep doing the great work you have done. It is indeed a great pleasure to talk to you today in this journey. And, uh, and you know, I think if I were to sum this up, I would, I would quote from Gita, saying that it is the action which is important do not get attached to the fruit of the action. I think the way you have gone in this journey, um, the way you have enjoyed yourself in this journey, you you never cared about what the outcome is going to bring to you. But in the end, the outcome has uh, resulted in bringing a lot of international accolades, a lot of international recognition. And that is great. But I think for you being able to be meaningful in your journey and uh, not being attached to the the end result itself, I, I commend you and I appreciate you for that, Raj Lakshmi.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you.